Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan. That's good news for Oregon in more ways than one. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. College football is crazy because a couple of weeks ago, Kalen DeBoer and Jim Harbaugh squared off in the national championship game, and they were going to carry their programs into the Big Ten, and now neither one of them are carrying their programs into the Big Ten as Harbaugh has gone off to the NFL. So, first reason that this is good news for Oregon, that Harbaugh is leaving Michigan. Not that I don't think Lanning can build a team capable of beating the Wolverines, but the Big Ten is loaded enough. The Big Ten has got Ohio State, who outside of Georgia might have the best roster in all of college football. Oregon, as we know, we expect the Ducks to be very good next year. USC, I think, is going to be a good team. They'll be capable offensively. They've made the right moves defensively. Penn State is a very high-floor program under Penn St- or under head coach James Franklin. This is a really good conference. It's why Oregon is joining. And Washington being weaker without Kalen DeBoer and now Michigan being weaker without Jim Harbaugh creates an opportunity for the Ducks. They should be a top two team in the Big Ten going into next year, either first or second with Ohio State. That's where the standard and expectations are going to be. And that's where they should be for Duck fans. Because without Jim Harbaugh there, Michigan can still be a good team. It's not as if I expect either Michigan or Washington, for that matter, to completely crater. But they're going to take a step back. I think Washington far more so than Michigan. The Wolverines will have more players likely to return. Now, we don't know who the head coach that's going to take Harbaugh's place is going to be. The reports indicate it'll be Sharon Moore, the offensive coordinator. That, as we'll talk about later, would factor into what players go into the transfer portal, if any or if that many. But for the Ducks, Jim Harbaugh is a guy that just won the national championship and is, is a very good coach. I, I think we know that as Duck fans going back to the early 2010s. Those Harbaugh teams with Andrew Luck were really, really good. And Harbaugh against Chip Kelly, those were the top two programs in the Pac-10 before it became the Pac-12. And so Harbaugh has always been a really good coach. And if you have the opportunity in a conference that doesn't need Michigan for legitimacy or credibility to value wins in the league, if you have that, then a coach of Harbaugh's caliber going elsewhere and not being a part of the conversation in the conference Oregon is now playing in, that is a good thing. Now, Sharon Moore has shown he's capable of being a head coach. He won at Penn State this year, and in a bevy of other games when Harbaugh was suspended, he filled in as the acting head coach on game day, and they, of course, won all of those football games, Connor Stallions or not. So I don't know that Sharon Moore can be as good as Jim Harbaugh. Few are capable of doing that. He could be good, but there is going to be a transitionary element to Michigan's team next year. We'll see how many players hit the portal, but without Harbaugh there, Michigan can't be viewed in as scary a fashion as they were with him there. Because 
as as again, Oregon fans know from experience, the, the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator can take over, and sometimes it can go really well. Sometimes it can work out. Other times, it doesn't. Other times, it works for a little while, and then it fizzles. Think Mark Helfrich. When Chip Kelly left for the NFL, Helfrich got two more years with Mariota, one with Vernon Adams, and then another one, and, and then it all kind of fell off once that Chip Kelly momentum in recruiting, you know, the players that had been there and were returning, once they kind of moved on, there were some there were some good recruits during the Helfrich years, no doubt about it. But it got to a place where, you know, eventually Brady Hoke was a defensive coordinator. That was an that was a complete and utter disaster. And Oregon just couldn't stop anybody and wasn't getting a great amount of production from the quarterback position in that four and eight 2016 season. So coordinators can take over and have success for a while. David Shaw, Stanford, took over for Harbaugh and continued to win at a high level. And Stanford was a premier program in the Pac-12 for several years. Eventually, though, it fizzled out. And, and I think that with Sharon Moore, that there is an unknown element if he ends up being the head coach as to what he can be and what sort of program he can build up there in Ann Arbor. And I think that he's capable of winning some games, but He's, he doesn't have a luxury that Mark Helfrich had going into his first couple of years post-Chip Kelly, which is continuity and a high level of play at the quarterback position. As of now, Michigan's starting quarterback would be a guy who was a Wildcat quarterback this year and, and, and has not started a game in his career. That's, that, that's who it would be. So Michigan is a pullback team in 2024. That's a pretty reasonable proposition. And, and this is really creating a great opportunity for Oregon as well, because this year, Oregon has to go to Michigan, and they get Ohio State at home. That's a big, big sequence in the revolving door of college football scheduling. This is, if Sharon Moore, let's let's say Sharon Moore does well in the long run and has a David Shaw, Mark Helfrich type, you know, run as, as a coordinator taking over for a head coach that departed, and by the way, Jake Dickert up at Washington State, another good example of someone who left or who was on staff, head coach is no longer the head coach, different circumstances, but coordinator takes over and he has done well. He has done well up there in Pullman. They did, they had a really disappointing end to the season, but I think Dickert's a pretty good football coach. So you can have coordinators step in and have success. There does tend to be a ceiling. Now, Ryan Day may be an exception there because I think Ryan Day is really, really good at Ohio State. But with Sharon Moore, let's say it works. Let's say, you know, two, three years from now, Michigan's humming and they're winning 10 to 12 games a year, competing for Big Ten championships and all that sort of stuff. Entirely possible because Sharon Moore clearly has some coaching capabilities. In 2024, Michigan's going to be the most beatable they have been. And so, for Oregon, with the way that the Ducks have, have used this offseason to improve their roster and the way that you know everyone's expecting them to perform, myself included, in their first year going into the Big Ten, this is the weakest Michigan's going to be, and this is a year you play them on the road at the Big House. And, and by the way, I just, I just feel obliged to bring up the last time Oregon went to the Big House. I believe they dubbed it the blowout at the Big House. Because that's what it was. I'm not saying I expect that right now. It's just a fun memory to bring up because <laughs> uh, Chip was the OC and he really ran a Statue of Liberty and a fake Statue of Liberty in Michigan's home stadium. I wonder how many Michigan fans remember that. 
I have a couple Michigan fans uh, that, are, that are good friends of mine. And let me tell you, when that game comes around, there will be a lot of highlights of one Dennis Dixon going their way to their mobile devices via iMessage. So I, I think this is an opportunity in that front for Oregon to to capture one of the top spots in, in the Big Ten. And that's where the Ducks should expect to be. It, it doesn't mean that Penn State won't be good or Wisconsin couldn't be good in their second year under Luke Fickle. They brought in Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, who I think is you know solid at, at quarterback. I, I like Dylan Gabriel quite a bit more, but you never know what they can do. That's a program that when you win 10 games, you aren't exactly surprised. And Oregon has to go to Madison this year. That's going to be a tough game. But one of their games is not going to be as challenging as it would have been. We don't know what the roster attrition is going to be like for Michigan, but at the very least, when the head coach isn't there, the, the, the team is not going to be quite as good, barring massive roster continuity. Even, even if they have that in this situation, so many guys have already announced they're departing for the NFL draft. I don't see a Helfrich-like takeover here in which it's just keep it rolling, win double-digit games each of, the next, each of the next two years. They need a new quarterback. They're losing players along the offensive line. They're losing Blake Corm at running back. A couple of impacts there. So that's that's the first way that, that it's good for the Ducks. There are two other ways that Oregon fans should be happy that Jim Harbaugh is going to the NFL. You'll be happy if you check out eBay Motors, passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive. eBayMotors.com eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. Well, second segment set to keep us going. Two other ways that Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan is good news for Oregon. Oregon fans have a great propensity, which I am a part of this, and I love that Duck fans are a part of this, to support our hashtag ProDucks. And one guy in the NFL who's a starting quarterback. His last name is Herbert, first name Justin. You might recall he had a pretty good career at Oregon. He has not had great head coaching in the NFL. He's actually had the opposite. Anthony Lynn is a position coach. Brandon Staley might not get another job as a coordinator in the NFL and routinely demonstrated he was not prepared for the role he was given. Jim Harbaugh is a good hire for Justin Herbert. And I am really, really excited to see what Herbert can do when he finally has a coach. And for anyone who questions Justin Herbert, I will defend him in the NFL from now until I see him fail with Jim Harbaugh, which I do not anticipate. Because when Justin Herbert hasn't played, the Chargers become a complete and utter disaster. They're not a well-run organization. They're historically cheap with their coaches. And they are just so chargery. In so many ways. And this feels like a good move. Harbaugh didn't fail with the 49ers. They just decided to go in a different direction. 
And this is a guy who won at Stanford, who won with the 49ers, who won at Michigan, and is now going to the LA Chargers and can make them into a division winner, even with the Kansas City Chiefs, who are, of course, really good. I want to watch Herbert succeed. I know many Oregon fans do as well. So that's the second reason. Here's the third one. And Max Torres and I are going to talk about this more on tomorrow's show. There's a 2024 recruit out there. Really the the last name that Oregon is pursuing in the 2024 cycle by the name of Gatlin Bear. He's a highly rated four-star composite guy. 24-7 sports has got him as a five-star recruit. He's down to Oregon and Michigan. And one of his primary recruiters is... Is, is Jim Harbaugh's younger brother who's on staff, not John Harbaugh, coach of the Ravens. There's another one out there. One thing that I heard many, many moons ago when Gatlin Bear was last brought up on this very program is that Bear was waiting to see what Jim Harbaugh did before he made his decision. Now, National Signing Day is a couple weeks away. It's, it's, early, it's early February. February 7th or 8th, I believe, is the, is the day. Oregon's already signed most of their class. But that guy is still hanging out there, tremendously talented, tremendously fast. And now that Jim Harbaugh's gone to the NFL, Oregon has to be the favorite there. So that's a guy who can bump Oregon's recruiting class and can one day be an impact player for the Ducks. And it might be further down the line, but still, these are just all things that are falling just one after another that make Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL a good thing for the Ducks. Now, Michigan players now have 30 days to enter the transfer portal. And a question came in, well, a couple people asked uh, about this, whether or not Oregon should go after Michigan players in the transfer portal. My response is this. Unless it is a high-level, experienced, talented, proven interior or, frankly, exterior defensive lineman, I don't see Oregon adding a transfer. Maybe, and I mean really, really maybe, a linebacker, but it would be a depth piece because Bossa and Jacobs are your top two guys. Devin Jackson's your third. Maybe have one of the freshmen fill as the fourth linebacker on the two deep there. I cannot see Oregon adding another. Again, if a, if an all-conference caliber guy comes available, we don't know who's going to go in the portal. We don't know who the hire is going to be. But I look at what Oregon has done in the transfer portal and say, I feel like every need has been filled. And Jabbar Muhammad is still out there for the Ducks. And there is reason reason to feel confident if you're an Oregon fan that the former Husky corner could be putting on the green and yellow in 2024, which would be great. I feel good about Oregon secondary either way. Obviously, I feel better if Muhammad is a part of it. But Oregon has done such a good job. The staff has done such a good job this offseason of replacing players who have gone off to the NFL draft. Look at Troy Franklin, for instance. Leading receiver just had the best individual receiving year in Oregon history. Who do you bring in? Five-star Evan Stewart, who can be a thousand-yard receiver next year. Absolutely, he can be a thousand-yard guy. And so you bring in a guy like that to replace a talent like Troy Franklin. You say, well, gosh, you might have a little drop-off, but would you have a lot? Eh, probably not. And then along the defensive line, you lose a guy like Brandon Dorless. Boom, you bring in an All-Conference guy from Houston and Jamari Caldwell. And you have a bevy 
of redshirt freshmen ready to make an impact next year who have spent a year in a college weight room and been learning the defensive system. I don't know who those guys are going to be. There, there are a lot of things to figure out from a depth chart standpoint as Oregon moves into spring football. But the, the transfer portal has filled the needs for the Ducks, and I, I don't see a glaring weakness. I think there are two spots, D-line, and you can certainly bring in Muhammad if you want. That's not a need. That's something you can do. Those are the only two positions I can see a transfer coming in. I, I mean, everywhere you look, Oregon is two, three deep, and you feel confident about the guys you have there. Receiver, check. Running back, check. Quarterback, definitely check. Offensive line, you're good. Losing JPJ and Steven Jones, boom. Matthew Bedford and slide Poncho over, and he was a rock star in the Fiesta Bowl against Liberty at center. So if a guy comes available, and I'll certainly keep an eye on who goes into the portal for Michigan because you'd expect there to be a few, but Oregon just doesn't have that many positional needs in which adding a transfer makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. There'll be 30 days for Oregon to decide if they want to get anyone from Michigan or if someone else, you know, comes available because a different coach leaves. Like, let's say this is slightly outside the box, though not entirely. Brian Kelly were to be hired to Michigan. Well, suddenly LSU players would have 30 days to go in the transfer portal. We know LSU recruits at a very high level. Heck, there's still... There's still a window, you know, Washington players can still go in the transfer portal. Alabama players can still go in the transfer portal. And then there will be another transfer window in early April after spring football kind of settles itself out and guys see where they are on the depth chart and somebody might pull a Keith Brown from a season ago. He's up at Washington State now, but remember he was going to be, I thought, on the two deep for the Ducks and the coaching staff evidently saw it differently and then... Keith Brown transferred to Louisville, didn't play a lot there, and he's going up to Pullman this year with Chris Hudson. Good good couple of additions there for the Cougs. So I don't think that there's a glaring need. I, I, I'm not – and look, as I said, I, I will look at who goes into the portal for Michigan and say, yeah, I'd take that guy maybe, or most of the time I, I feel like my reaction will be, Oregon's good. They've, they, they, they've made their moves. They're good. They're set. And I think that's credit to the coaching staff and and the job that they have done. There's going to be attrition, by the way. Guys are going to leave. Uh, Oregon's over the scholarship limit right now. 92 is the last count that uh, I saw that I believe is accurate uh, as I record the show. So uh, just keep an eye on that. Let's go to the mailbag here, and then we'll talk uh, some hoops a little bit later as well. This uh, came from the subtext community, which is where you get priority mailbag access if you don't want to be over there, which totally understand. It's a free 14-day trial. Then it's just $5 a month. There's all sorts of perks. But if you just want to get a question answered here on the show, which is free and available wherever you listen to or watch it right now, YouTube comments or X, formerly known as Twitter, at S. McLaughlin CFB or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. Quick question for the mailbag. Can you please shed light on why a player will opt out of their bowl game, but then play in the senior bowl or the blue-gray bowl? Isn't the risk of injury the same? JPJ and Evan Williams both opted out of their bowl game, yet opted in for one of these quote-unquote all-star games, which, by the way, they're just as likely to get injured in playing. So this is a fascinating question, and I think there is a, a perfectly reasonable explanation as to why these guys wouldn't play in a bowl game, but they would play in the senior bowl. That explanation is the number of NFL draft scouts that are going to be watching the game. So when Oregon went to play Liberty, they were a 17 and a half, 18 point favorite. And Oregon blew them out. 
Is that a great opportunity? It's an opportunity to put some game film out there. But is it the best opportunity? No. The Senior Bowl or these Blue Gray Bowls or whatever you want to call them or whatever they are, they're specifically designed to be an invitation for the top NFL draft prospects. So your your ability as a college football player to boost your NFL draft stock in a Senior Bowl is greater than in a bowl game. And I think that that's especially true now that bowl games have unfortunately been diminished because of opt-outs and transfers and coaching movement and all that sort of stuff. So I think that for you know guys like JPJ and Evan Williams, there wasn't really that much to be gained in the, in, in the Fiesta Bowl against Liberty, but there is something to be gained. You're, you're guaranteed to have draft scouts in attendance. And unless you're a big time prospect, I mean, Troy Franklin, you know, I don't know that he's playing in the senior bowl. He probably doesn't need to and such, but the senior bowl is a great opportunity for guys that are NFL draft prospects, but want to get their grade up a little bit higher, right? Maybe they aren't first or second round picks. Franklin's going to be a first or second round pick. There's no way he goes past the middle of the second round. I would be shocked, absolutely shocked if that happens. And so for guys like Williams and, and JPJ, they might be a little bit lower down the board, right? Especially Evan Williams. Like JPJ just won the Remington Award. His stock should be solidly high, but he's not going to be a first round pick. He might not even be a second round pick. So when you're in that sort of range, if you don't have a first or second round grade, that opportunity is greater than a bowl game to show NFL scouts, hey, this is what I can do. Because you're going up against other guys that are about to play in the NFL. So you're not going up against Liberty or this team or that team or this team's second or third stringer. No, you're going up against somebody who is also in the NFL draft pool and wants to make it to the league. And so that is a much greater opportunity as to why they play in that game. Good question, though. This one came in from Derek. Hi there. Question for you on Locked on Ducks if you have time. Five days a week, all year round, got plenty of time. When investors are analyzing companies, a high level of revenue concentration is a bad thing, all else equal because of the risk it presents, having all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak. With increasing chatter of how Division Street has gotten its act together on the NIL front, which they do, do we have any idea what percent of its funding comes from Phil Knight? If something were to happen to him, does Division Street become a shadow of its former self, or is it donor based more or is its donor base more diversified than duck fans like myself might fear? Thanks, Derek. And then he adds this an Oregon fan in New Zealand. If you read this on the show, no need to share this Twitter handle, since as you can see, I never tweet anything. <laughs> I respect it. Okay, good question, Derek. So Division Street, which is Oregon's main NIL collective, they they have been really, really good. And and everything that I know and have heard about Division Street is that not only are they not being left behind in the NIL game, they're not just holding serve. They're one of the best and they provide opportunities for athletes. And it is a, it is a recruiting benefit for Oregon as they go out on the trail and try to make pitches to kids to come play for the ducks. As for Phil Knight, these are, these are the sorts of details that you're asking about that are only known by people who actually have read Phil Knight's will. Because that's what this is related to. The finances of Division Street, that stuff is not going to get made public. At least not to my knowledge. I, I don't think that stuff is just hanging out there. People know these collectives exist. Here's what, here's what I would say about, about Phil Knight. Because he is certainly getting up there in age. With the commitment that he's made to Oregon, 
I don't worry about him wanting to leave behind a legacy that continues to impact and support the Ducks. I I don't believe that he would do that. And so I don't know what percentage of the money comes from Phil Knight himself, but having the company and him as a figurehead behind the Ducks in the NIL era is, is a tremendous, tremendous boon to Oregon. And we've seen it pay off in recruiting. Landing is recruiting at a top 10 level every single year. That's what he's done in each of his first two full recruiting cycles. It's not only NIL, but you can't do that if you aren't willing to play that game. Whether you like it or not, you got to be willing to do it. And if you're not, then you can't recruit at the highest possible level. You can still recruit well. You could do things solidly. You can't be top 10 back-to-back years without having that as an advantage in some way. So I think that for the Ducks, it's it's not something, you know, there's a line from Ted Lasso. You can't worry about something that hasn't happened yet. That was in the context of Ted, you know, stressing about uh, his ex-wife going to Paris and having his former marriage counselor propor- or propose to her because they're in a relationship and everything. Can't worry about something that hasn't happened yet. And by the way, it never ended up happening. Dr. Jacob and Michelle never en- never ended up getting engaged, at least on the show. Now, uh, of course, Phil Knight cannot live forever. But my sense is that he will leave Oregon well off because he has invested so much in it. And he has been such a principal figure for the Ducks. I, I can't imagine that that whenever he, he passes away. And, and by the way. I think the guy's in pretty good health. I, I I don't know that personally. I just, you know, every time I see a photo of him, I'm like, man, he looks the same. Looks look, looks like the same sort of guy. Far be it for me uh, to, to speculate about anything like that. But just an observation there. Don't worry about something that hasn't happened yet. And look, eventually it'll be something for Oregon to deal with. But I, I just can't see Phil Knight being saying, well, you know, I'm not here anymore, so Oregon doesn't get anything. We're just pulling, we're just pulling. I, I can't see uh, can't see that being the case. All right, let's talk about hoops uh, to wrap up today's show. If you're listening to this on Thursday, this is a big game for the Ducks tonight because every game is big for the Ducks. Joe Lenardi in Bracketology has got Oregon men's basketball as the last team in to the field of 68, which is a blessing given that they went on the road and lost two games in a row. Number one, you can't lose three games in a row. Number two, you can't lose a game at home to Arizona State, who's okay, capable. This is a game that Oregon can absolutely lose, but it's not one they can afford to lose because Arizona is looming on Saturday, and that is going to be a difficult game. A winnable game, but a difficult game. And so for the Ducks, they have got to be able to continue doing what they did very well for the most part, during the non-conference slate. And that's avoid the resume-crushing loss. Oregon's won 20 or more games each of the last two years, and they've missed the tournament each of those years. It wasn't because they didn't have quality wins. They beat top 10, top 20 teams in the Pac-12. They beat Arizona, they beat UCLA when they were good. They, They had some good wins. The thing they avoided, or they failed to avoid in those last two seasons, were bad losses. And losing at home is incredibly punitive for your resume. And so Oregon's got to be able to win this game. If they beat Arizona on Saturday as well as beating Arizona State tonight, they'll be back inside the field of 68 squarely. Beat Arizona State 
and lose close to Arizona. And I think they're still a tournament team as of the week. This is just going to be a bubble watch sort of season, though. Once again, the good news is Oregon is starting to get healthy. Though Mookie Cook is out, Nate Biddle is expected back tonight. And having Biddle and Dante, once Oregon puts it together defensively, this team's offense is really good. It's really, really good. If they can just get back to playing Dana Altman basketball at the defensive end, which they have not been doing. I mean, allowing 80 points in, I believe, back-to-back games because Colorado did as well. That's not Dana Altman basketball. If they can get back to winning games 73-64, kind of in that range, holding the opponent at least under 75, if not under 70, Oregon can be in a really, really good position here. Because they've got a lot of guards, they got plenty of shooting, they can score. The question is whether they can get stops. And I'm 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 gonna be kind of nervous watching the game tonight because it's really, really big for the Ducks. Gotta have this one against the Sun Devils. Cannot afford to lose. And it's more of a you need to avoid a loss more than you need a win. And then on Saturday, you need a win more than you need to avoid a loss. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go ducks.